pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you again just um, for your goodness, for your love, for your care for us, God. I pray that as we come into this time, God, we would never take it for granted. I do lift up the persecuted church to you, Lord. I pray that you would touch them, God, that you would encourage them this day, God, that they would continue to stand for you, that you would protect them, God, that the your word would continue to go forth and lives would be changed by the gospel. And I pray, Father, um, just for our time, that you would protect this time together. I pray that you would strengthen Rob and all that you've called him to as he brings this message today, Lord. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be open, God, that as repentance, that repentance would fall, God, that we would be um, quick to act, quick to be obedient.
shall rise and nothing. This is what it happens when you
This is not the
Jesus, that we would have a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness, Father. God, that we would not have a divided heart, but we would have a heart, God, that is seeking you. Your word says, God, if we seek you, we will find you. If we seek you with our whole heart. God, you know exactly where each one of us are at today. And God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would set our gaze upon you the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, you've begun this work in us, Lord Jesus, and you are faithful to complete it. God, may we not try to do this in our own strength. Father, this new life is birth of the Spirit. We are born again. We are to be Spirit-led, Spirit-filled. Father, your word says not to live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit, but a life that is in step with him. Your word encourages us, God, that if we walk in the spirit habitually, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, Father, thank you. Thank you yet for another day of your new mercies. Another day, God, where you have brought us together to to open your word, to hear from you. Father, only you know how to minister to each one of us, God. And to bring about that which is within us that needs to be revealed. The darkness that needs to be brought out into the light. God, so that we can continue to mature. That we can continue to be about our Father's business. And so, Father, empower us, strengthen us, Lord. Encourage us, Holy Spirit. Father, and may today our time together and our time of fellowship be pleasing unto you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Community, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Community, the church. And as we've been talking for almost eight months now about community... It is vital that we as the church understand what Christ has called us to. We are His church. He is building His church throughout the earth. And the great news is is the gates of hell cannot prevail. We are victorious in Christ and in Christ alone. As I was praying and as scripture reminds us that this life is a new life in Christ. It's not a religious life. It's not following a bunch of rules and laws. It's not trying to do it in our own strength. But it's a life now that is dependent upon the Spirit of God, whom we receive if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. And let's not forget Jesus' words to his disciples. As he spoke to them, he speaks to us today. If you come after me, You must deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow me. He tells us, consider the cost, because it's going to cost you everything. You are to die to yourself. You are to reckon yourself dead, but alive in Christ, because you have nailed that old man, that old woman to his cross. 
and you have been born again. You see, either you are living a life that is representing the truth that he is resurrected, or you're living a life that's calling him a liar. Sin is not to be dominating a Christian life. Does that mean you won't sin? No, that just means sin is not your master. And when you do sin, you feel that conviction that draws you. Yvette, mute yourself. (laughs) That draws you to repentance. To repentance. Last year we talked about the three R's. Repentance, resolve, and to release. And the question is, is are you living a life of repentance? You can't make excuses for your thoughts that run rampant in your mind, Mm -hmm. that lead you to here and there and to nowhere. You can't keep making excuses for your actions. You can't even make excuses for this weird sense of reality that's not even a reality that you've conjured up to believe. Sin. Again, as I was sharing on Friday night, Sin is not the action. (laughs) Sin in of itself is your nature apart from Christ. You're in complete rebellion against a holy God. That is what you're born into, all of us. We are born into a nature that hates Him. That is in rebellion towards Him. Sin is nothing. It's, it's nothing just to consider trifle or, or it's not a big deal. No, it is a huge deal. And the sin should, not, sin should not be running rampant in a Christian life and sin should not be running rampant in the church, in the community of God's people. You see, God has set a standard and it's His Son. He knows our condition and yet though we are in complete rebellion towards Him, He loves us. And in his love for us, he sent Jesus. He is the center of our community. He is the head of the church. We are the body. And it's Jesus and Jesus alone that God is pleased with. And it's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. And when you see him for truly who he is, that God is pleased to reveal himself to us. Oh, I hope that we would just grasp that. God, you are pleased. As wicked as I am, as rebellious as I am, God, you are pleased to reveal yourself to me through your son Jesus that I might be reconciled back to you. For eternity, I've been sharing over the past weeks about your soul. Have you given thought again again, this week, this prior week, about your soul, the decisions that you're making? Remember, as you think, so you go. That's what the Bible tells us. And the Bible also tells us, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. You see, this is good news. To the flesh, to that nature we are born into, it's not good news. The flesh doesn't even want to hear it. (laughs) Because it destroys the flesh. The flesh has to loosen its 
grip on us. You see, in Galatians, it tells us how the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. You can walk upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. You can go forth and bear his image. You are called to be his ambassadors. There's a way in which we are called to live to accomplish his purpose for us. As I've shared with you before, and I hope you give thought to it, you were meant for today. As long as you have breath in your body, you were meant for today. You're meant for this time in history to accomplish the good works He prepared for you before He placed you in your mother's womb. God has prepared good works for you to accomplish for Him for His kingdom, for His glory, by His power. And that's how a Christian lives. A Christian doesn't live one foot in and one foot out. Here today, gone tomorrow. Here for a season, but out running a month for another. That's not how a Christian lives. One day praising God, the next day down in the dumps and remaining in the dumps for a period of time. And you said, but don't we have mountains and valleys? Yes, but those mountaintops and those valleys are for His purpose in and through our life. But a lot of us, He he leads us into the wilderness, but we take up camp. And we were never called to take up camp. Your flesh would take up camp. Your flesh will keep you there. But the Spirit of God leads you. Remember what the Bible says about Jesus. When the Spirit, right after Jesus' baptism, it says the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, led him into the wilderness. And Satan came at him every which way. But Jesus reminded him what the Word says. Are you reminding yourself? Are you reminding this world system? Are you reminding that, that level of, of warfare? When the Ephesians 6 says, it's the rulers and the principalities and the error and the darkness. It's that which is controlled by Satan. Remember, you have three things against you. And they've been against you since you took your first breath. Yourself, the flesh, the world system, and Satan. But Jesus, but Jesus came and from the cross he cried out, it is finished. You see the prophecy that God spoke in the garden to the serpent, there will come one who will crush your head. It's Jesus, you all. And we see all through the Old Testament, Jesus. Everything is pointing to Jesus. And Jesus shows up on the scene as a baby in the manger. Grew up. Began his ministry. And then his purpose was fulfilled. His purpose was always the cross. The cross. Remember, the cross was already in play even before God spoke and created. See, it's love, you all. It's love that is being displayed to creation 
every single moment of every single day. His love, His love, His love. But if you understand His love, you understand His nature. And not only is He a God of love, but He is a God of wrath. He is a God who is just. He is a God who has stored up His wrath. But at the appointed time that no man knows, He's going to unleash it. But we do have insights of the times, the signs of the times that Jesus tells us. But again, even as Jesus tells us what the signs of the times are and how destructive they are, the good news is is that his gospel, his message will continue to be preached throughout the earth. People will be giving their lives to Christ. Salvation will come forth to the nations throughout the earth from every tribe and every tongue. They will praise the living God. You see, because He's a resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is the community. This is the community of believers. The community of believers that gather together, that long not only to be in the presence of their King, but to be in the presence of each other while we are worshiping our King. Oh, how I pray you came to worship your king today. Through song, through prayer, through the reading of his word, through the fellowship with each other. See, we don't come to church for ourselves. We don't come to church just to do a religious duty. No, we come to church to belong. We come to church to gather, to worship the king, to sit in his presence, to acknowledge him as Lord to encourage each other to continue to grow and to mature, to hold each other accountable to the standards in which the Lord has set in place. Church, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. There's too many people calling themselves Christians, but living like hell. They're running the, uh, running amok. They, they stripped Christ down. They made His blood so common as if it has no power. And that's why I've always encouraged you, if your Christian life is a humdrum life, um, one day you're in, one day you're out, you're, you're where you're at, you, where you were yesterday or a year ago or ten years ago, and you're still in the same place, something is wrong. There should be warning signs flashing at you. Something is wrong because you don't find that anywhere in here. What you find all through Scripture is people who talk a good talk and yet their hearts are so far from God. And from the old to the new, we're told that those they will have to endure the wrath of God. Remember, just look at the letters to the churches All these letters in the New Testament to the church. It's basically the same theme. Grow up. Don't get entangled again with sin. Understand how destructive it is. That's why the Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. 
not just oh, abide in it, remain in it, make excuses for it, but how many of you went this week and threw off the sin that so easily entangles you? Not beating yourself up, not, not condemning yourself and, you know, making it all about you and what a horrible Christian you are, because that's just focusing on self. But when you focus on God... <laughs> When you turn your gaze towards Him and you understand His love for you, you understand the freedom that comes from Christ for you to live. You see, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. It's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And everything, everything, everything in this temporal world is at war with the throne of God. And you ask yourself, what have you yoked yourself with this week that is at war with God? And how can you remain yoked if you say you love Him? That's why Jesus says, come out from among them from the beginning to the end. It's the same message, God's plan, God's purpose. Oh, it's not hidden to believers He will have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. This Christian life is a liberating life. It's a life of freedom. It's a life that is filled with the hope of eternity. And this is what we have to offer others. How many of you engaged in spiritual conversations with people this week? How did you share the gospel And if not, something is wrong. You need to be sharing it to yourself as you're sharing it with others. Keep the gospels, keep the gospel before you. Lest you get bewitched and start following a different gospel. That's what Paul tells the church. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? You are now believing in the gospel that is not the gospel at all. You see, the enemy is working overtime. And as we see the signs of the time, as we see the condition of this earth, the community of believers have to awaken. It's time that our lamps are filled. It's time that we start enjoying and embracing life today. And stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Call out that darkness that keeps trying to hold you and bring it into the light. For God's sakes, crave freedom. And stop yoking yourself to your past. Stop blaming your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your uncle, whoever. And get free. Start talking about Jesus more than you're talking about anyone or anything else. Stop holding everyone else's past against them. When you got your own past, and I'm sure others are holding against you. Oh no, it's time to be liberated. Amen. And say, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Is free indeed. You have a new nature. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. And some of us need to understand that. The old has passed away. we got to stop yoking ourselves to it. No, it's gone in Christ. And that's why as believers we can say, now how then shall we live? In and of ourselves we know how we would live. 
But do you know how you ought to be living in Christ? Because that's why you have the Word. That's why you have the Word. You are a new creation. You are to be empowered as you've received the Holy Spirit. If you've truly confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And understand that. Truly confessed. Like I recognize Jesus that you are Lord and Savior. That you are the Messiah. You are God's Son. And that you rose from the dead. I have spoken over it for over a year or more. The Bible is very clear. If that is your belief and if that is your confession, you are born again. Because in and of yourself, you wouldn't announce it. But there's a lot of people running around saying it, but they're not announcing it. Oh, it could be a good talk. But if it, not, if it hasn't impacted you to transform you, that's all it is, is talk. And they're empty words and they're empty promises. You can claim religion all you want. You can slap Jesus on your life all you want. You even can believe that you are saved. But in the end, no, no, no. He's going to look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And some of you, that doesn't even bother. Some of you have heard that over and over and over. And it doesn't even bother you. Because you're going to get right back up from this place. You're going to head right back out and live however you want. And you don't know when you're going to drop dead. And then what are you going to do before a holy God? Because your condition of your soul is not saved. Your condition of your soul is still in rebellion towards Him. Yet though you have His name on your lips. (laughs) Oh, we have to wake up. The enemy is working overtime to deceive people. He doesn't mind just sitting in church. Remember, the angels, demons, they come as angels of light. His purpose is to kill you. To destroy you. The world system is to entice you, to keep you so wrapped up here and now and give no thought to eternity. And your flesh, nothing but craves the physical elements of this earth. And then the end, what do you have? And you say, well, but okay, then what does it mean to have a belief in a confession that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead? Well, that belief and that confession begins to define your life because you recognize you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that God sent His one and only Son to deliver you, to save you, to set you free. And how did He do that? By going to the cross, by taking your punishment. But on the third day, He rose again. And that's great news because now there's freedom. There is freedom found in Christ. And the community, the church community, the community in which I've been trying to encourage us over this year to be a part of knows her God and knows her identity. And she will not, will not continue To yoke herself to that which is behind her. No, the church is to be thriving. The church is to be living. And if all churches to you is just a Sunday ritual, a good luck charm, 
then you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You see, the Bible, it tells us flat out it's a narrow road. Not many people are going to get on it. Most people are going to be on the wide road that leads to destruction. But oh, people, wake up. Wake up, wake up. It's time to turn to Christ. It's time to call upon the name of the Lord. It's time to get discipled. It's time to get rooted. It's time to wake up. Stop slumbering. Stop sleeping. Stop giving yourself over to everything and anything that is ungodly. Stop manipulating people. Stop making it all about me, myself, and I, and my poor story. Get over yourselves. It is time to wake up. It's only Jesus. It's all about Jesus. People are dying and going to an eternal hell as they're walking by you. Some of them are sitting in your own households and we're saying nothing. And they look at our lives and they see nothing. And what we've done is we've given them this warped sense of Christianity, of Jesus. It's time, you all. It's time to get up from our slumber and be the church. It's time for you to desire more intimacy with Christ. It's time that you say, no, I'm not going to keep doing. I'm not going to keep going around the same cycle over and over and over. You realize that's insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. That's insane. You got to step off that cycle that you put yourself on. Not your mama, not your daddy, not your aunt, not your uncle, not your sister, not your brother, not your lover. Oh, no, no, no. It's you. You choose. That's why the Bible says you choose this day. Whom shall you serve? And see, the Christian community, we have chosen to serve our king. And so that when we do go through trials, and oh, you will have trials. Oh, you will be in deep valleys the majority of your Christian walk. But praise be to God, He is our shepherd. He leads us. He provides for us. He has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light, and we can praise Him. Rather we're up or we're down, rather we're in or we're out. Oh, no, no, you look to Jesus and your life is fulfilled, no matter your circumstances. And that's what that dying world needs to see in the Christian community. Life. Life. We're not to be always... And the burden is so heavy on us. Throw it off. Because the the yoke of Christ is easy and His burden is light. God, if you brought us to it, you'll see us through it. God, in the midst of it, how can I praise you? How can I worship you? How can I not be deceived by the enemy or be pulled by the world system or give in to my fleshly desires? Some of you all just need to say no to yourselves. No, I'm not going to think that way anymore. 
no, I'm not going to go that place anymore. No, I'm not going to allow my feet to lead me here. No, I'm not going to keep yoking myself with people who are only yanking me back. When God, I know you, called me out. And listen, I keep encouraging us, this Christian community is not going to be embraced by the world. This Christian community is not going to be embraced by people who are still enslaved to their self. And it surely is not going to be accepted by Satan and his legions of demons. They know their time is coming. In fact, when Jesus would show up on the scene, the demons would screech. Is it time? They know what's coming. Oh, that we would know our God. That we will love our God. That we would serve our God. Go to Galatians chapter 6. A few scriptures to encourage us to persevere in community. You need to be a part of community. Because not because Rob says it. Not because man says it. Because that's how God designed it. And we better start enjoying what God has designed. <laughs> Ephesians, I mean, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. Share each other's burdens. And this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. This Christian life that you're living... Coming in and, and, and being engrafted into the kingdom of God, being adopted into his family, giving the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. And again, you all, as I've said it over the past few weeks, not everyone is a child of God. I know we like to believe that. I know we like to conjure up in our head and live this warped, weird religion that everyone is saved and everyone's a child of God. No, no, not everyone is a child of God. Now, everyone is created in the image of God, but not everyone is a child of God. You are only a child of God if you have been born again. That is when you receive the Holy Spirit. That's when you are engrafted into the family of God and then given the right to call him Daddy, to call him Abba. And so when we come together, we are coming together as a community, again, to encourage each other to keep persevering so that we're growing. See, there should be something different about your character if you've been a Christian for some time. If your character is still the same, you're not a Christian. And I know that bothers people, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. I care more about your eternity than your temporal weirdness that you're clinging to, to in this temporal world. If your character is not being transformed, something is wrong. Because that's the first thing that begins to transform when you're going through is your character. It's your character. Perseverance. Character. And ultimately hope. That hope in Christ. That's why we never give up. That's why we keep pushing on and pushing forward. That's why we don't think of ourselves better. No, when we come together, we're collectively coming. How can we serve each other? If Christ came to serve, if He lowered Himself, we ought to lower ourselves. We are to 
humble ourselves and we're to learn to, to how to engage with each other, how we are to live amongst each other so that when we go out into the world, we know how to live and how to love and how to serve them and how to represent Christ. Go to James chapter 5. James 5. Verse 16. Again, scriptures to encourage us to persevere in community. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And that healing is a whole, it's a whole healing. It's just not a physical, but it's emotional. It's spiritual. It's healing. To confess your sins. You should be in a habit of confessing your sins to one another. First before God. Then to one another. You've got nothing to hide. What are they going to think about me? What's going to be said about me? If you're a part of a community like that, then you're in the wrong community. You have every right to, to, to come and share. There's nothing, I've, I told y'all, there's nothing that you've done or will do that's going to shock me. Because the flesh in and of itself does vile things. And that's why I've always encouraged you to know true freedom is to be transparent. First before God and then before each other. But what we've done is we live sh- Closed off lives will only allow you to see what we want you to see. And then you struggle and you go through alone. And you're not called to be alone. You're called to go through it with a community of people who have their own testimonies. Who have done more vile things than maybe you've done. And so we don't judge and we don't look at each other like, oh, goodness. No, no, we recognize. No, come out of the darkness. Speak. Confess your sins. This is what I've given myself over to this week, this day. Oh, the past hour, I'm going through a rough time. Pick up your phone and call someone. Let someone pray with you. But ultimately, it's God first. Be transparent before God because he already knows your heart. And then when you're transparent before God, you can be transparent before men and women. You say, but what if they say something about me? Well, don't let that detour you. Pray for them because their sin was just revealed to you. Their nastiness, their judgmentalness. But you can't give up your pursuit of freedom in Christ because you've been wounded by men and women or by the church. As I've always said to you, we all have a sad story. But we've got to get our eyes off of the sad story and put our eyes on His story. So confess your sins to each other. Remember what Jesus says, peace I leave you, peace I give you. That peace is wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. But how are you living your life? As a broken person? full of anger and rage, full of unforgiveness, quick to just be nasty to people? Well, if that's your constant condition, you're not a Christian. Because that's not what Christians do. 
in a habitual cycle. It's a continue, it's who you are, and people know that's who you are. And you can claim Jesus all you want, but if you have no weight of conviction, then your heart is severed. It is seared. And we better wake up. Because the Christian life is a transformed life. And so you have to choose this day to say, God, no more. I'm tired playing games. God, I'm a sinner. God, I need Jesus. Jesus, you are the Son of God. You rose from the dead. I believe and I confess. And in that, I understand that you've defeated sin and death. And it's only in you, as I am born again, that I can live this new life. That I don't have to continue to be yoked to my chaos. But that you've come to give me peace, wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. What does that look like, God? Because in and of myself, I'm a broken person. And I will live like a broken person. But God, when, I'm, when you show me and you begin to teach me that I'm a person of peace, that I, there's wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, I can start making decisions afresh and anew. No matter what yesterday was like, no matter what two hours ago was like, no, I am getting up and I'm pressing in. Oh God, help us. Go to Proverbs 27. Verse 17, Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Oh, how I pray that you have friendships like that. And not friendships where it's just one-sided. You always needing help. You always needing the support. You always needing an encouragement. You always needing. Listen, it's iron sharpening iron. It's in doing life together. If you don't have that community, you don't have that type of friendship, uh, something's wrong. Something is wrong. You need that in order to walk out this newness of life, to walk in community. There's so many people using the church. And when the church catches on to their scheme and they say no more, then they want to talk bad about the church. But the reality is not the church, it's them. It's them. We are to be contributing. We're not just to be takers and takers and draining and draining and draining. No, we are to be givers. We are to be giving our time, our friendship, our fellowship, our resources. We're to be giving as Christ freely gave. This is the Christian community. This is what it means to live it out. And so as iron sharpens iron, that's how we're to be living. Finally, Matthew chapter 18. Oh, I pray you're in the scriptures. I pray you're, you're meditating and you're giving thought. And then not only are you being a hearer, but you're being a doer as the Spirit of God is training you up to live this out. Matthew 18, verse 26. Nope, verse 20. For where two or three gather together as my followers, listen to this promise, I am there among 
them. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1 through 8. These scriptures I'm giving you right now, these two scriptures, are scriptures I want to encourage you to go this week and to reflect on because they deal with the Christian life. Back in the prophet Isaiah, back in chapter 6. Isaiah's words. It was the year of King Uzziah, it was the year the King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphims each having six wings, mighty seraphims, I'm sorry, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other. Hear this, the picture of the throne room of God. (laughs) Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy. Holy, holy. It's the attribute that's repeating over and over and over and over in the throne room of God. He's separate. He's not like all these false gods. He's not like all this stuff that man tries to create to worship. He's God. He's the creator. He is holy. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, listen to Isaiah's response. It's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a burning coal. He he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to these to these to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. Oh, I don't know if you heard that. I would encourage you if you didn't get the fullness of that to go look at that this week. But here's Isaiah, the prophet called of God. He has this vision of God. And when he sees God for who he is, he says, I am a sinner. Oh, I am doomed. The seraphim flew over, placed the coal on his lips. And did you hear what he says? Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. As soon as his guilt was removed, as soon as his sins were forgiven, he heard the Lord ask, Whom should I send? 
and he went from seeing himself as doomed and to seeing himself and being able to stand and say, here I am, send me. And we're not waiting for a seraphim to fly over to touch us with a coal. No, because we have the blood of Christ. As Christians today, we hear the word of God. God moves in a way because he's pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. And we see him for who he is. You can't help but humble yourself. And if you're not humbling yourself, you haven't seen him. There I was sitting on the couch hating Christians, hating Jesus, a practicing Buddhist, a practicing um, psychic. I was so warped up with such demonic stuff. But when the voice of God spoke, oh, I knew in that instant who that was. It wasn't any other voices I was channeling. It wasn't anything else I was allowing to possess me and lead me. In that instant, My hands went over my head. Oh, Jesus, have you met him? Has he stepped into your life? Have you recognized him for who he is? Because when you do, you see yourself as doomed. You see yourself as the filthiest of sinners. Oh, God. And in that moment, you see him for who he is. And not only do you see Him as holy, but then you know Him as God's provision for you, the Son of God, to take your punishment and to cleanse you. In Christ, you're no longer guilty. In Christ, you are forgiven. That's how you have to start living, you all. As if you've been forgiven. In Christ, there's no guilt doesn't matter what your past has been. That's why the worst of sinners can be saved and it bothers people. How can this person who's done this, 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 and that be a Christian now? What kind of God is that? A God that transforms. People want to hold you to your past. God wants to set you free. And yet you're running from God. But again, when you get a picture of who He is, You humble yourself and you call upon him and his blood cleanses you. The the, the stripes he took upon his body that ripped chunks of skin out from him that so deformed him that he wasn't even recognizable. He did it for you. And then the good news is that he rose up from the third day. And as he rose up, as he got up, You get up. But you don't give up living a loose life now. No, you give up up now and you live a life that's honoring to the one who humbled you. He's not forcing you to live for him. It is a choice each and every single day. God came to you. You didn't come to God. God came to you to deliver you. And in that state of deliverance, in that state of wholeness, after you see yourself as doomed and as a sinner, but now cleansed and forgiven, that is your response. Send me, God. 
Send me. I see what the world is like. I see the condition of my family. I see the condition of my neighborhood. I see the condition on the earth. God, send me. It's just like you call yourself a Christian and come to church when you want. I'm a Christian. Poof, I'm a Christian. Oh, no, no, no. You've been deceived. Satan wants nothing more than people to believe it's about some religious structure and some religious rules and he's leading you to hell. Oh, you got to get up. Because when you're touched by the master, when you're touched by your creator, when you recognize I am at peace with God, through Jesus Christ, not of my own doing. You won't strive to do right in and of your own self. Each day you know, I can't do this, but God, you can through me. You've given me your Holy Spirit, God himself in me. Have you talked to the Spirit of God this week? Have you asked him? But you see this response, it's beautiful. Isaiah, God's man of the hour of that day. When he saw God, he saw, oh God, I'm doomed. I'm filthy. And yet God made provision. As he does today through Christ. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Oh, this is good news, you all. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 3. It's a call for holy living. You see, nothing has changed. There's nothing new to give. I know people want to stand in pulpits and stand in places and say, we have a new revelation now. There's nothing new. It's the same as it was then as it is now. From Genesis to Revelation. This is the Word of God. Even if an angel appears to you and gives you a new message, oh no, don't believe it. I mean, again, we're living in a day and age with main denominations, people leading churches and ministries. They're falling left and right. I mean, they're preaching solid biblical truth one day and then the next day, they're not. This is the time that we're living in. This is the time that we're living in. And you will be led astray if you're not rooted in Christ. If you're not rooted in Christ. You see, in the last days it tells us the congregations are only going to want preachers to tickle their ears. Tell us what we like. But true preachers, true shepherds understand the responsibility in which they've been called to. Preach the gospel. Encourage, edify, build people up. To encourage people to go on in Christ, to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, mind, with all of their being. And we're called to live holy, to be separate. And we've tried over the years to be holy. And we try to make it what we determine holiness is. 
and we've perverted it. If we would just know Christ and we would know how to live for Christ. Listen to this. So think clearly. This is, this is Peter writing to the church. As he wrote, then it's for us today. So he who has ears, listen. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live. Hear that? It didn't. It wasn't. A, it wasn't an option for the church. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living. To satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So, you must live. There you hear that again. It's not an option. You must live in reverent fear of Him during your time as foreigners in the land. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you, listen to this, from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom He paid was not mere gold or silver, It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because... He raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins. Oh, there's that picture of being cleansed. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other's to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart, for you have been born again but not to a life that will quickly end. Did you hear that, you all? For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. So that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for for this nourishment. Now that you have had taste, you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. I don't know about you all. 
God, I hope that you are listening and then you're going to put into practice when you get up from here. And if you need to repent while you're sitting here and listening, repent. You're hearing God's Word. No one's twisting it. No one's making it anything what it's not. This is what the Word of God says. And it says you must. You must. You must. Because if you're living any other way, you're making a mockery of Him. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. You are a manipulator. You're bound by sin and darkness. Satan is your father. That's the reality. But God is pleased to reveal himself to you so that you can live. And not wait until you're in his presence, but live now in his timing, his perfect timing to set you free. So that he can utilize you in this generation to go forth and to declare the good news of Jesus. You were once a captive. And now you can look at those who were still enslaved, who were still bound up and say, this is the way out. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And you can live a full life no matter what your circumstances are. You can live and testify of the goodness of God because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How on God's earth we're, we're comfortable in the church age in which we've been will people gather in and then usher out and just live however they want. I told you over the years we cannot continue to do church the way church has been done. We have not created disciples Oh no, we haven't. We've created people who who are lukewarm and divisive. They don't know Christ, but yet they hold a form of religion. And the Bible says, have nothing to do with those people. It doesn't have nothing to do with the world. It says, has nothing to do with people who say they are Christians and yet don't live like Christ. That's the standard of the Bible. See, he's a holy God. He's a holy, holy, holy God. And he has made a way for us to come to him, to be restored to him through Jesus, his son, who took our punishment, you all. We don't have to be fearful of his wrath. We don't have to be fearful of his wrath if you are swallowed up in his love, oh, you don't have to worry about wrath. You still have to keep him as holy, but you have no concern about his wrath. You can live in a way that honors him and look forward to the day of his return because he calls you his own. Do you know that you have been called his own? If you're in Christ, You have been called to be a child of God and to represent Him in a world that so desperately needs to hear the good news. Coram Deo. It's a Latin term I heard this week. And I want to share with you what I learned about 
this phrase that has impacted my week, that I have just fell in love with this word. The Christian life is one that lives coram deo, a Latin phrase that means to live before the face of God. As such, the Christian life, I'm sorry, the Christian live to honor, praise God from the moment they rise to the moment they lay back down in the evening. The Christian doesn't live in a compartmentalized fashion. He doesn't worship the Lord on a Sunday, then live like the world for the rest of the week. This next part I got from a devotion from R.C. Sproul. He says, recently a friend asked me in all earnestness the same question. He asked, what's the big ideal of the Christian life? He was interested in overarching the ultimate goal of the Christian life. To answer his question, I fell back on the theologian's prerogative and gave him a Latin term. I said, the big ideal of the Christian life is Coram Deo. Coram Deo captures the essence of the Christian life. This phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. God is omnipresent. There is no place so remote that that we can escape his penetrating gaze. To be aware of the presence of God is also to be to, to be acutely aware of his sovereignty. The uniform experience of the saints is to recognize that if God is God, then he is indeed sovereign. When Saul was confronted by the refulgent glory of the risen Christ on the road of Damascus, he immediately asked, his, his immediate question was, Who is it, Lord? He wasn't sure who was speaking to him, but he knew that whomever it was was certainly sovereign over him. Living under divine sovereignty involves more than a reluctant submission to sheer sovereignty that is motivated out of a fear of punishment. It involves recognizing that there is no higher goal than offering honor to God. You see, our lives are to be living sacrifices. Oblations offered in a spirit of adoration and gratitude. To live all of life, Coram Deo, is to live a life of integrity. It is a life of wholeness that finds its unity and coherency in the majesty of God. A fragmented life is a life of of disintegration. It is marked by inconsistency, disharmony, confusion, conflict, contradiction, and chaos. The Christian who compartmentalizes his or her life into two sections of the religious and the non-religious have failed to grasp the big ideal. You see, the big ideal is that all of life is religious and none of life is religious. To divide life between the religious and the non-religious is itself a sacrilege. This means that if a person fulfills his or her vocation as a steelmaker, an attorney, a homemaker, Coram Deo, then that person is acting every bit as religiously as a soul-winning evangelist who fulfills his vocation. 
It means that David was as religious when he obeyed God's call to be a shepherd as he was when he was anointed with the special grace of kingship. It means that Jesus was, Jesus was every bit as religious when he worked in his father's carpenter shop as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, integrity is found where men and women live their lives in a pattern of consistency. It is a pattern that functions the same basic way in church and out of church. It is a life that is open before God. It is a life in which all is done is done as to the Lord. It is a life lived by principle, not expectancy, by humility before God, not defiance. It is a life lived under the guidance of conscience that is held captive by the word of God. Coram Deo, before the face of God. That's the big ideal. Next to this ideal, our other goals and ambitions become mere trifles. Coram Deo. For the face of God, y'all, that's how to be living. Oh, I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that no matter where you are at today, where you find yourself today, if you need to get right with God, that you would take this opportunity before we take communion. Maybe it's your first time really coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. Well, then allow today be the day that you are birthed in Christ. You are born again of the Spirit. You see, Christians are liberated people. We're not held down or held back any longer. It is only through Christ that we are reconciled to God. That we receive the Holy Spirit, God himself in us. And the Bible says then we are given everything we need to live a godly life. And you say, but that's too high of a standard. That's because you're looking to do it in your own strength. That's why you must humble yourself before the living God. And say, God, I can't, but you can. Set me free. (laughs) And so I pray that as the song is ministered to you, and as the elements are passed out, that you would just take this time to reflect on Christ. And are you truly in Christ? Are you truly in Christ? And if not, then get in Christ. (laughs) Call upon him and be saved. I'll get the song started and then I'll pass it out.
Jesus, you allowed your body to be broken for us so that we could be made whole. You paved the way. And so today in this moment, we give you honor and we give you glory and we do this in remembrance of you. In your name. Take the bread. Would you pray over the cup? Father, we hold this cup in our hands as a symbol of the power of the blood of Christ. Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Sin and death is now defeated, and we can live a victorious life because of the blood of Jesus. So to your honor and glory we give in your name. Amen. Take the cup. Amen. The Heidelberg Catechism. Part 2, Deliverance. God, the Holy Spirit, Lord's Day 22 again. Catechism is just a teaching. It's a tool that I've introduced to us this year in hopes to equip us to be able to respond to questions that we might be asked. It's a good tool to get you rooted in Scripture, to get you to get you to have an understanding of the newness of life that you're living. Question 57, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? The answer taken from Scripture, not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh will be raised by the power of Christ reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? It's how it should comfort you. And again, when these notes are given, they'll have the scriptures for you to go back and refer to them this week. Question 58, how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Answer, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. So after this life, I will have perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has ever imagined. A blessedness in which to praise God forever. The comfort that we find in life everlasting. Go to 1 Kings chapter 22. So where we're heading. We're actually closing out 1 Kings next week. We start another book of the Bible, 2 Kings. We're making our way through the Bible. First Kings is where we're heading, chapter 22. We left off last week a mess with Ahab, but Ahab actually humbled himself. And do you remember the Lord took off his punishment, if you would, of Ahab? He said he'll put it on the sons of Ahab because he already knew what those men were going to be like. But we find today that Ahab's humbleness, Ahab's repentance wasn't sincere. Mm. He's right back to his old ways. And that's where a lot of people are stuck today. As it was then, so it is today, and as it's always been. People get moved, they, oh God, forgive me, oh God, I'm sorry. But the reality of God, they really have not seen. Like Isaiah the holiness of God. Oh God, I'm doomed. 
Oh God, I'm a sinner. Remember, we talked about repentance all through last year. The Bible tells you don't have worldly repentance. Oops, I'm sorry. Oops, I'm sorry. Oops, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance is a sincere remorse. Like, oh God, what am I doing here again? God, forgive me. I see that this is in rebellion towards you. God, I am not to remain in rebellion towards you. It humbles you. You recognize that, oh God, you're holy and here I am acting like this. When you've already set me free, why am I here? So you repent. You have sincere regret and remorse. And from that you get up. (laughs) Because you've been forgiven and then you press on. And you reconcile yourself to God through Christ and you reconcile yourself to those you've hurt and wounded and offended through Christ. Some of you are growing in your Christian life because you are not reconciling yourself first to God and then to others that you have wounded by your actions, by your choices, and you are keeping them a prisoner because they see no difference in you. But oh, the way that you can pave if you would just say you're sorry and mean it and mean it sincerely since sincere regret and remorse oh forgive me and you say but what if they don't forgive me then that's on them you free yourself from what you've done through Christ and then let them see Christ in your life transforming you and Christ will work on their hearts it's not for you to force them to forgive you But there is a way in which we are called to live. And we find today that Ahab was not sincere as he humbled himself before God. Remember, he's the wicked king. And no matter how we try to run from God, no matter how we try to cover up, God knows exactly where we're at and he will find us. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. Then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, Do you realize that the town of Ramah Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram. Then he turned to Jehoshaphat and asked, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramah Gilead? And Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat added, but first, let's find out what the Lord says. Well, praise God for Jehoshaphat. (laughs) He just didn't jump in just to jump in. He's He's not Ahab's ride or die. Oh no, he wants to seek the Lord. Before we go about and make this decision, let's seek the Lord. It's funny that Jehoshaphat is saying this to Ahab. This wicked king. But Jehoshaphat understands the principle of Israel, that it's the Lord that leads them into battle. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about 400 of them, and asked them, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or should I hold back? They all replied, yes, go right ahead. The Lord will give the king victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. So it's interesting, Jehoshaphat is discerning, hey, wait a minute, these prophets that you called in around you, they're just yes men. 
They're giving you what you want to hear. And you better be careful who you're getting counsel from. You better be careful from the people that you're surrounding yourself with. And they always just want to give you an answer that satisfies you. Instead of upholding truth to you. Loving you enough to uphold the standard of truth to you. Jehoshaphat recognized these 400 men are just all talk. Is there not a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, There is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. Oh, did you hear this? Isn't that just like people outside the church or religious people? Oh, religious people don't like to be around true believers. They irritate them. Because they, they, they uncover who they really are. You see, you can't be around true Christians if you're a religious person because you're going to feel like you don't belong. Like something doesn't feel right here, so I'm going to find my people where I can just remain the same and do what I want to do. You see, there's a lot of good people that can talk the talk. They can pray the prayers. They can serve. See, don't be impressed. And I've heard it so many times talking to people. They're so impressed by other people's works. And somehow they think that these people that they're so impressed with are Christians. Because they do or they say. And yet they don't love them enough to say, Hey, wait a minute. I see you do. I hear you say, but I also know you in private, and you are ugly. There is no fruit bearing. You have no integrity. You're not living before the face of God. Sure, you can go out on the streets and do this and do this and do this and do that. But that's all it is, is doing. Sure, you can pray the prayers and you can give and do whatever. But that's all it is. It's you. See, if people aren't full of integrity, if people aren't producing fruit in their lives, we've got to be honest with them. We've got to love them enough. And listen to Ahab. I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Amiah. Jehoshaphat replied, that's not the way a king should talk. Praise God for Jehoshaphat. (laughs) Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Quick, bring Micaiah, son of Amiah. King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. One of them, Zedekiah, son of Kenah, made some iron horns and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says. With these horns, you will gore the Aramaeans to death. All the other prophets agreed. Yes, they said. Go up to Ramah Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. Meanwhile, the messenger went to get Micaiah and said to him, Look, all the prophets are prophesying victory for the king. Be sure that you agree with them and promote success. But Micaiah replied, Oh, praise God for Micaiah. As surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. Sometimes you just have to have a backbone, Christian. Maybe all these other false Christians are running amok. 
running around saying this and saying that. But someone's got to take a stand and say, I'm only going to say what the Lord has said. I'm only going to raise up the standard as the Lord has raised up the standard. I'm not lowering them just to get along with you. And in this day and age in which we're living where there's so many false gospels, you better be ready to stand. You're going to be hated. But you better be ready to stand. As it was then, so it is now. We're called to stand, you all, for truth. When Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab, before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramah Gilead or should we hold back? And Micaiah replied sarcastically, Yes, go up and be victorious, for the Lord will give you, the, the king, the victory. But the king replied sharply, How many times must I demand that you speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? Then Micaiah told him, In a vision I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, Their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Didn't I tell you the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat, He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Then Micaiah continued, Listen, to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all of the armies of heaven around him, on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramah Gilead so he can be killed? There were many suggestions, and finally a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. How will you do this? the Lord asked. And the spirit replied, I will go out and, and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak to him. You will succeed, said the Lord. So go ahead and do it. So you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all your prophets. For the Lord has pronounced your doom. Then Zedekiah, son of Kaniah, walked up to Micaiah and slapped him across the face. Since when did the Spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you, he demanded. And Micaiah replied, you will find out soon enough when you are trying to hide in, your, in some secret room. Arrest him, the king of Israel ordered. Take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to my son Joash. Jo- Give them this order from the king. Put this man in prison and feed him nothing but bread and water until I return safely from the battle. But Micaiah replied, if you return safely, it will mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added to those standing around, everyone, mark my words. And so the last time we heard of this amazing prophet, he spoke up. And it's interesting now, the man, the King Jehoshaphat who called, heard what this prophet said, but he did not follow what the prophet said spoke. He wanted to hear from God, but when he heard from God and he saw all that went on, he chose to still align himself with King Ahab. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, now listen to this. As we go into battle, I would disguise myself so no one will recognize me, but you wear your royal robe. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. 
Meanwhile, the king of Aram had issued these orders to his 32 chariot commanders. Attack only the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. So the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes. They went after him. Look how King Ahab put King Jehoshaphat out on the front to get killed. Jehoshaphat, in his ignorance, went along with it. So when the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There is the king of Israel, they shouted. But when Jehoshaphat called out, the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel, and they stopped chasing him. An Aramean soldier, however, listened to this randomly, shot an arrow at the Israelite troops, and hit the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Turn their horses and get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of his chariot. I am badly wounded. The battle raged all that day, and the king remained propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran down to the floor of his chariot, and as evening arrived, he died. Just as the sun was setting, the city ran through, um, just when the sun was setting, the cry ran through his troop. We're done for. Run for your lives. So the king died and his body was taken to Samaria and buried there. Then his chariot was washed beside the pool of of Samaria. And dogs came and licked up his blood. Remember, that was pronounced over his life. At the place where the prostitutes bathed. Just as the Lord had promised. The rest of the events of Ahab's reign and everything he did, including the story of the ivory palace and the towns he built, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. So Ahab died, and his son Ahaziah became the next king. Jehoshaphat rules in Judah. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, began to rule over Judah in the 14-year King Ahab's reign in Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother was as bold, the daughter of Shiah. And I wanted to point this out. Jehoshaphat was a good king following the example of his father Asa. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. During his reign, however, he failed to remove all the pagan shrines and all the people still offered sacrifice and burnt incense there. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. The rest of the events in Jehoshaphat's reign, the extent of his power and the wars he waged are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. He banished them, I mean, he, he banished from the land the rest of the male and female shrine prostitutes who still continue their practices from the days of his father Asa. So again, we find this king Jehoshaphat of Judah, he was following, but not with his whole heart. He removed some things, but not all things. And that's the question for you today. In your life, you are called to remove all. All things. All relationships. Everything that is keeping you from the fullness of the the freedom that is found in Christ. You are a new creation. You don't hold on to what's back here that kept you going before. No, you hold on to Christ. You're clinging to Christ. And then Isaiah rules in Israel. That's how we end 1 Kings. Go to Acts chapter 13. 
verse 16 through 41. Wrapping up today, Acts chapter 16. No, 13, verse 16. We left off last week when Barnabas and Paul were in the synagogue and they were encouraged to speak to the people. And so here's Paul's message to these Jewish men in the synagogue. So Paul stood, lifted his hands to quiet them and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of the nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, He led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of the wandering in the wilderness. Then He destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave the land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. What God has planned, what God has purposed, it will come about in God's timing. Notice what Paul is doing with the Jewish leaders and these God-fearing Gentiles. He's taking them back. He's reminding them of what and who God is and what God has done for them. After that, he goes on, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I'm not. But he is coming, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you are sons of Abraham. And also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as one of the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that were read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophets had said about him, I'm sorry, when they had done all that the prophecies had said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witness of the, to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son, today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. 
He said, I will give you the sacred blessing I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone who God would raise and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you, for they said, Look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. This is Paul's message to the Jewish people, to the Jewish leaders and God-fearing Gentiles. He laid out this incredible foundation of truth to them. And he tells them, don't end up being those that the prophets spoke of. And as it was then for them, oh, how I pray it is for you that you will not be like those who will keep resisting Jesus. That you will not continue to remain in rebellion towards Him. These were religious people. These were people who thought they were right with God. By obeying and doing what they thought they needed to do. They needed Jesus. They needed Jesus. Go to Psalm 138. Oh, how we can find hope and strength in the book of Psalms. Again, the book of Psalms calls us to look up. I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Oh God, did you hear that? Do you understand the confidence that you can walk in every single day? Not in of yourself, but in the God in whom you've been reconciled with. You are re- if you're a Christian, you are reconciled with God. And you ought to walk in the confidence of God and stop walking all humdrum and bent over and down and, 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 and downcast and all of that junk that we do. Understand who your God is. Yes, you have seasons of depression, of of uncertainty, of discouragement. But that's all they are, seasons. They aren't to be what's defining your life for years and years and years and years. What kind of craziness is that? I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Oh, that we would know our God, people. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. 
Every king in all the earth will thank you, Lord, for all of them will hear your words. Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways, for the glory of the Lord is very great. Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble. Oh God, do you see your God? But He keeps His distant from the proud. Though I'm surrounded by troubles. I love that. I love how He shifts now. He's walking in the fullness. He's declaring the fullness confidence of God. Though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand and the power of your right hand saves me. Some of us just need to pray that and declare that this week. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. Oh God, take that with you today. Live in that today. Go out and live it among everyone else. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. Amen. The confidence that we can have in God, not in ourselves, not in a pride puffed up way, but the confidence that we can have in who God is. And listen, we've got to stop playing games, you all. We've got to stop playing games. I have been so disturbed within me this week from some of the stuff that's just going on in this fellowship. The lack of fellowship, the lack of care for each other, pinning each other up for what they've done in the past. Some of you need to stop playing games and start being honest with each other. Start reconciling. Start getting your life right before God, lest you end up in hell. Enough's enough. People are dying out there. Loved ones are just, you're just allowing them to lay in the chambers of Satan. We've got to wake up. All this foolishness and all this folly and all this weird stuff that we're doing, it needs to stop. It needs to stop. You're making a mockery of God, the risen Savior. I don't care how you sit. And, and, and you read scripture, or you, or you pray, or you're doing, or whatever. If it's not really who you are, I don't care if you worship 10 hours a day. If it's not really who you are, and it's just works that you're doing, you're not saved. That's the reality. And if I'm wrong, then prove it to me by the word of God. It's the same tactic that the enemy has used from the beginning to deceive people into thinking God is a way, a certain way, and they have no concept of really who God is. And they just go about doing. They just go about doing. And they think that their doing is fruit. And it really isn't fruit. Because it really isn't who you are. So I'm calling us to repentance. I'm calling all of us to get right with God, to be sincere with God. The kingdom of God is not just a bunch of talk. It's a life filled with power, a transformed life. And if your life isn't transformed, you're not in the kingdom. And if you die today, you're going to have to answer to a holy God. To a holy God. 
So I want to encourage you all, go out this week from this place and seek Him like you've never sought Him before. Don't run from Him. Don't turn from Him. Don't make it all about you. Go find Him. The Bible says if you seek Him, you will find Him if you seek Him with your whole heart. Be committed for at least the next seven days to seek God, to be honest with God. God, search my heart. Test me. See if there's any wicked way within me, God. I know you're gracious. I know you're kind. I know you're pleased to reveal yourself to me. God, I just don't want to be about works. God, I want the confidence in my Savior. And I want to depend on Him and Him alone. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to produce fruit in my life for your glory and for your honor. God, I want to be like Isaiah who sees I'm a doomed man. I'm a doomed woman. I am a sinner in need of being forgiven and delivered. And that can only be through Jesus. God, set me free. Give me a greater hunger and a thirst for you. Help me, Holy Spirit, to reconcile with broken family, with broken friends. Help me to live out this transformed life before them in hopes, God, that they would get a glimpse of you and be drawn to you for your kingdom and for your glory. Proverbs. Nugget of wisdom. Seventeen, two nuggets for you. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. It's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for a friend. Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans, has a great commentary for this verse, Proverbs seventeen, verse seventeen. Listen to this as we close. When do you need a friend the most? Not when you're on top. A true friend stays with you when you're heading downward, when times are rough. Sometimes you don't know who your friends are, in fact, until you're in trouble. Too many of us are Lone Ranger Christians. We're trying to make it by ourselves when God's plan is for us to grow, serve, and live in community. You can't fulfill the one another commands of Scripture by yourself. Let us end with a song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer.
You be 